Turn into your copies of God's Word or in your devices to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. Or if you want to follow along in the translation I am reading from, it's page 1056 in the Pew Bible in front of you. 1056. Well, back in August, we began a journey uh, through 1 and 2 Timothy. We have been challenged over that time to think about the legacy that we will have as individuals, uh, as individual Christians, as a church, uh, as a family of faith. And today, the challenge is now, after we've been talking about it this long, will you take your next step in cementing your legacy of faith? So let's read beginning in verse 5 of chapter 4. Verse 5 of chapter 4, and we will read to the end of the chapter. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is close. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Make every effort to come to me soon, because Demas has deserted me since he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. I've, seen, I've sent Tychicus to Ephesus, when you come, bring the cloak I left at Troas with Carpus, as well as the scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did great harm to me. The Lord will repay him according to his works. Watch out for him yourself, because he has strongly opposed our words. At my first defense, no one stood by me, but everyone deserted me. May it not be counted against them, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that I might fully preach the word and all the Gentiles might, might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesephorus. Erastus has remained in Corinth. I left Trophimus sick at Miletus. Make every effort to come before winter. Eubulus greets you, as do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. Heavenly Father, we come as we expect, as we just come, we have worshipped you through songs and spiritual songs. And Lord, I just pray as we have lifted our praises to you, Lord, we pray that they have been pleasing. And in this week that we do, as Americans set aside for thanksgiving, Lord, may we live lives of thankfulness. And Lord, as we do, we are thankful for your word. Because we know, as we were reminded last week, that it is good for instruction and rebuke and training in righteousness. So Lord, now we come to it again, expecting to, to, to hear to be corrected and trained. And Lord, I pray by your spirit, you will change us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
About a month or so ago, when I woke up and Isabella came out of her bedroom, she had a real perplexed look on her face. She looked at me and said, is that what you're wearing? I didn't know if she had maybe become a fashionista overnight or if she was concerned and I just looked to make sure that I had not forgotten what I was wearing. But she said, no, dad. That's not what you were wearing last night. It seems to be that when I put her to bed the night before, I was wearing a very soft, comfortable sweater. And she remembered that. And the first thing in the morning was she wanted a hug against that nice, comfortable sweater. It's funny what things remember about people remember about you, right? You want to be remembered about the right things and, and the things that matter. Isabella had remembered the, the soft, comfortable sweater from the night before. Hopefully she remembers other things about me in time. But think about things that people have been remembered about that maybe they're not so proud about. And maybe you might recall Dr. Samuel Mudd, the physician who treated John Wilkes Booth after he assassinated President Abraham Lincoln, the phrase that we said that your name is Mudd. I mean, here's a doctor who, because of the Hippocratic Oath, took care of someone who was in danger, but was, was tried for tra- uh, treasonous actions. And even today, we use a phrase that uses his name in not so good account. Or maybe this week, when you sit down on Thanksgiving to watch football, you'll see the obligatory videotape of Leon Lett. Maybe you don't know Leon Led, or maybe you don't want to watch football, but those of you who do will remember it's almost 30 years ago now, his blunderous effort to help the Cowboys win the game. It was in 1993 that the Miami Dolphins played in Dallas when it was a, a freak snowstorm and ice storm, and they lined up to kick a field goal, and the, and the Dolphins missed it. It was blocked. But for some reason, Leon Lett decided to run down to the end zone, sliding in the snow, touching it, and then giving a new possession back over to the Dolphins to try one more time where they won the game, uh, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory, right? It's always a good day for me when the Cowboys lose, so I remember that uh, very well. But that is what we know about Leon Lett. That's, he had a tremendous career as an offensive lineman, but many people didn't even know who he was until that fateful day. When we began this series back in August, we thought and was challenged to begin and join the fight, the fighting for a Christian legacy of faith as Christians. We thought over the last several months about what it looks like to be faithful and found faithful in God. So we come to this final question. Will you take your next step in cementing a legacy of faith for yourself and those who follow you? You see, when we, I do many counseling and do many funerals, No person wants to be remembered for the bad things. The question is, what would we want to be remembered for? Will you want to be people talking and sharing stories about how you were a spiritual legacy of your children and grandchildren? 
that people will proclaim the faithfulness and stewardship that you had in your local church. Brothers and sisters, we know that we write with God's grace our own funerals. And as we think about what legacy we will leave, do we want it to be one that brings glory to God in all things? Or do we want it to be look back on the opportunities missed to bring a legacy of faith? Brothers and sisters, as Paul knew that his time was coming to an end, it says that his life is being poured out, that his time was near. He had finished his race. Paul said that I was being poured out as an offering. Now, Paul was not saying that here my life is, I am working in this way to gain salvation or gain reward or gain uh, that ultimate salvation in heaven. Instead, he knew that by faith alone and Christ alone, that by grace he had been saved in meeting Jesus on that road that day. And that in response to that, that his life would be just an offering, a pouring of oil on the altar of grace, of pleasing and thankfulness to God. In the same way, do we view our lives in that way? And the challenge for us is what is that next step we must take to leave a godly legacy? Maybe today you have come questioning the faith of Jesus Christ Maybe you've come as an invitation of another believer. Maybe you've tuned in online just to to find out what the gospel and Christians really believe. Well, brother or sister, I encourage you to take that next step to trust in Christ alone for salvation. That if you want to leave a godly legacy, that one that extends an eternity and one that extends of goodness into the world, that you would trust in Christ But maybe you've been a Christian for 20, 30, maybe 50 years or more. And you think about what is it that legacy that God has created in me to leave and be for this world? What is it that next step that you know that you've put off for far too long? What is that next step that you know that you need to do as you submit your legacy of faithfulness? That by God's grace, he can help you as you take your steps towards him. In this passage, Paul's final words are a call to faithfulness to Timothy and the church at Ephesus. And in this same passage, we see four ways we can take our next step in leaving a godly legacy. The first step that we can take is that we might live differently by being faithful to Christ. That we live differently by being faithful to Christ. In verse 5, it says, But as for you, exercise self control in everything, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. From September to November every year, we know, and you've maybe seen if you watch different nature shows, you understand, we know that salmon swim upstream to lay eggs in and the breeding ground in which they were bred. We know that it's a long journey, many, several months to go from the ocean up the stream to where they must go. Uh, they cross, they go up current all the way, even going up through fjords and even different, uh, different uh, treacherous 
uh, walk. We see obviously that picture of Solomon jumping and bears trying to catch them as they, they come. But someone pointed out to me a long time ago, you know, it takes a whole lot of wiggle to go upstream. In the same way as Christians, it takes a whole lot of faithfulness and difference as we stream up against the culture, the tide of culture that we live in. It means saying faithfully and committedly that we are going to be different, not pleasing the world, not pleasing others, but pleasing to Christ. Paul begins this verse by saying, but as for you, Paul's saying it's differently, not, not as the false teachers, no, not those who have fallen astray, not those who, who have gone uh, uh, to have these itching ears that want to hear things falsely to the gospel and to the word of God. But as for you, brothers and sisters, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are to live in the world and not of it. We are to live contrary, not to the ways of the world, but as pleasing unto God, no matter the cost. And Paul reminds us, but as for you, you should be different. So how should we be different? In four ways. We should be different in exercising self-control. These commands here mean to be serious, to be sober-minded, to think before we react, to be morally alert, coolness under the, and with the presence of mind. And in the original Greek text, I found it also means don't freak out. Don't be controlled by the whims of your passions and emotions, but instead be grounded in the word of God. Be understanding of what Christ has called you to be. As Alistair Begg gives us kind of a, a framework to help us that we might be sober-minded, to be, be alert or be self-controlled, that we would be not like the world, that we wouldn't be fat-headed, we wouldn't be filled with pride and have a prideful, puffed up with pride, that we wouldn't be empty-headed, that we wouldn't deal with ignorant controversies or sick-headed, having mind filled with immorality. We shouldn't be hot-headed, Responding to critics with sinful anger instead of gentleness. But instead, us as Christians should be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be under self-control. Brothers and sisters, think of the impact of the world in which Christians are the sober-minded, self-controlled people that God has empowered us to be. That we're not freaking out because of what has happened at school. We're not freaking out on social media. We're not freaking out and joining the mob of the mentality of either the right or the left. We're not rushing to judgment where we are self-controlled, assured by the word of God, empowered by him. Heck, if Christians would just return the shopping carts, this world would be a better place. We know that God has empowered us to be self-controlled, living differently, living as light and salt to this world. Brothers and sisters, we should be self-controlled. We should endure hardship. 
we know that we've talked in the past here in this text in other parts of this chapter that warn us of persecution that is to come. We understand that that will come. We, brothers and sisters around the globe, that we would not be small-minded here as American Christians to understand that there is a global faith of Christians who are being faithful to Christ. We understand that many of them every day wake up knowing that they believe in the resurrection of Jesus means a death sentence to them. But we know that the coming persecution that is coming to us knows that we should be willing and endure persecution. But we should also endure every hardship. We as Christians can come up under and understand that we are facing trials from left and right. We know that the scriptures tell us that God will allow Satan to sift us, to test our faith, to know our true nature. Satan wants nothing more than distract us from what God's glory and his purpose for our lives Brothers and sisters, I encourage you to stand and endure as you face hardship, trials, and persecution. And let me just observe something that I've thought about for many weeks now. It's very clear that there is no coincidence that when we as a church over the last year and a half have begun to take the gospel to every home, that we've returned to thinking about being on mission trip, that we've encouraged now 21 people who are being discipled in their faith, that we are being more faithful to the gospel and to the ministry, that it is no coincidence that, that we in the body have endured hardships. Listen, not every sickness is of Satan. Not every bad thing is a spiritual matter. We know that because of the implications of sin in this world, that we know our bodies are decaying, we know that bad things are happening, we know that sinful choices are being made. But brothers and sisters, heck, we've even been distracted as a church because of, of the zoning issue next door. That, that's not by coincidence. And those are things that we need to think about. But brothers and sisters, we've had, we've had people in our church become under deathly sickness and illness out of the blue. These things have happened, and it is no coincidence that Satan wants to distract us from the main thing. There's awful temptation from us to be distracted, and we must endure there is hardships, there is suffering, there is things that are going on. And we must, despite all this, be faithful. And Paul tells us that we would be unlike the world if we do. Brothers and sisters, even as we know that suffering comes, how we respond points to a greater hope that we have. Thirdly, he tells us to do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. Maybe I could summarize this faithful step by asking you this question. Do people around you know that you're a Christian and know that you care about them trusting Jesus? Do people around you know that you're a Christian and know that you care that they trust in Jesus? 
You see, during the work of evangelists, Paul would tell us to, to make the gospel known, proclaim it. We understand and know that the command of the Great Commission was not the great suggestion, but the great commandment to all believers to, to trust in Christ, but to declare the gospel that saved us. Maybe this is where many of us need to take our next step in submitting our legacy. Maybe it's that that we know that maybe in our entire Christian lives, we've never shared the gospel or encouraged someone to trust in Christ. Maybe you need to draw the net with that one person you've had spiritual conversations with. Maybe you've never shared the gospel once and you need to take that step. We will be glad to equip you to be, do the work of the evangelist. Mark and I were talking this week that we are thankful to serve in a church with so many members, faithful members, who love Jesus so deeply. We're so grateful. And that we're at a point at a church, as a church, that there is no excuse that every one of our members and every one of us as believers should be sharing the gospel and inviting someone to church every week. We have been equipped we know it's right. We know we love Jesus and we know others need to know and love him too. And we know that every one of us need to be about doing the work of an evangelist. That's why we started Gospel to Every Home. In many ways, we know the commitment to take the gospel to every home and every door in the 4108 zip code. But even more so, it's the training ground for people who might not be comfortable sharing their faith to get practice in sharing their faith. Maybe you are a faithful evangelist now in your workplace and where you live and where you go to school. Praise God, keep doing it. Let us cheer you on. Put ping pongs in the box and let us celebrate what you're doing and sharing that. But many of us need to think about how are we being faithful in this? If we're not having opportunities during the week, to share the gospel when we certainly need to be at the place where we are sharing the gospel at Gospel to Every Home. If you have the opportunity to share, we encourage you to share and invite someone to church. Maybe you're in a workplace that you're not around many non-Christians. Well, praise God for that. But what about your life do you need to change to be around lost people so that you can share the gospel? I encourage you to think about if you want to live a legacy, leave a legacy, that you're doing the work of an evangelist. We know that we can't save anyone, but God has saved us so that we might share the good news and he can save someone. Do you believe that? That we need to be doing the work of evangelist. We need to also, his encouragement, fulfill the ministry. Paul is encouraging Timothy here to do everything faithful to him as a pastor, elder in the church at Ephesus, to not cut corners, to do exactly what he's supposed to do. And brothers and sisters, the same can be said to us, whatever ministry God has equipped us and called us and made us to be. Maybe your ministry is being a parent. Are you being faithful and encouraging, challenging, and helping your children love the Lord God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? Maybe your ministry is your spouse, that you would love your spouse more and more like Jesus. Your husband, that you are loving your wife 
as Christ loved the church and giving yourself up for her. At school, brothers and sisters who are in school age, are you there? I know, yes, to learn, to read, write, and arithmetic, but is there a student there that you know that does not, need the, does not know the Lord? We need to be faithful. God who says that we who are faithful and little, he will give us much. Many of us could be said to not being faithful in a little. Are we being faithful in the ministry. Brothers and sisters, we need to be counter-cultural. We need to be thinking about faithfulness to the Lord. We need to be taking the next steps that God has called us to take to leave a godly legacy. Are you doing that today? Or will you, by God's grace, pray and ask him for you to do that today? Secondly, we need to fix our eyes on our future in Christ. We need to fix your eyes on your future in Christ. Verse six to eight, I am already being poured out as a drink offering and at the time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to those who have loved his appearing. You know, when I was in London, I had this under real life understanding of having the end in mind. Uh, there are many days that Mark and I would leave the hotel room at 8.45 in the morning and not get back to our rooms till after nine at night. Many days, most days, was us going around and seeing different church planters or partners around the city. One day, uh, we, dr- we rode the tube one hour northwest met with the leader of IMB in London, took the tube back 45 minutes to the middle of of London to then take a train another one hour outside of the city. We spent a lot of time thinking about our destination. And sometimes I would sit and look at the tube line and say, 12 more stops, 12 more stops. And I would think to myself, you know what happens at the end of that stop? I get to meet a champion for Jesus Christ. I get to see somebody who's, who's in the fight of the faith. I get to encourage them with the gospel or get encouraged by them, my own self. So those long train rides or long tube rides weren't that hard because I saw the end in mind. Then I thought of my family. And every morning I'd set my alarm for about 6.45 y'all's time, which was close to noon or somewhere around there, 11.45. And I would say, hey, Franklin, three more sleeps and I get to see you. Two more sleeps and I get to see you. That was really hard on those long days when my body was tired of walking and all sorts of things that I knew there was a roar to see my family at the end. Brothers and sisters, we have this wonderful privilege as Christians to know that we get to live with the end in mind. That we get to know that the righteous judge, Jesus Christ, will welcome us home one day. Paul is about, his life is almost over. He knows it. Luke, the physician, is with him. He's got a reality of knowing his frailty of life. He knows he's under house arrest, and he knows that probably his life would end soon, which we know that would end in death of crucifixion under the hands of Nero. 
But he knew. He didn't say, oh, I wish I had a few more hours. I wish God would bring on judgment on the emperor. I wish all these things. He said, oh, no, I can't wait to see the righteous judge that is going to welcome me. Paul had a firm confidence in knowing that in his salvation, that this righteous judge would declare him righteousness, righteous. You see, in our salvation, when we, are, when we are born again, that when we put our faith in Christ, we receive the imputed righteousness of Christ that we know that we receive Christ's perfection, that God sees him, not ourselves, that, that the righteousness of Christ becomes ours, that all of eternity is because of him, not of ourselves. And that righteous judge awards us righteousness. But Paul goes even further that we will receive the righteousness, the crown of righteousness, the reward of our faith. And that day we know that the crown, the victor's crown, were given to, to animals, <laughs> those who were in the battlefield, and even those in sport, the, the victor's wreath of crown. Brothers and sisters, Paul relished in knowing that the righteous judge would give what we deserve and what we have earned and fruitful gospel ministry on that day. And he says, not only me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Brothers and sisters, it is a genuine Christian whose love is Jesus' appearing. The evidence of our faith is knowing and looking forward to our heart coming in fruition in Christ. Unbelievers dread Christ's coming, but believers, we long for it, knowing that we can run this race. We can run faithfully. Brothers and sisters who have saved by faith, do you see Jesus? He's waiting for you. There he is. He's getting closer. Keep running. Keep fighting. Keep guarding. Soon you will see him as he is. Brothers and sisters, you are one day closer to heaven. Then you will see him as he is. His scarred hands, his majestic eyes, and you will not regret fighting and running and enduring for his namesake. James 1.12 promises, blessed is one who endures trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And with this future glory in mind, we live today with the hope of Christ, but it reorients our loves so that while we're on earth, we love him. We love his coming. We love his ways. We love his word. We love his gospel. We love to obey him. We love to be different than the world. We love to be pleasing to him. We love to worship. We love to be with other Christians. We love to serve each other. We love to do all these things in the glory and name of Christ because we know we will see him. We know that he stands to welcome us on that day when we and he is forever ours. Brothers and sisters, be encouraged to leave that legacy and be renewed by looking towards our future hope. And number three, encourage other believers along the way. 
Encourage other believers along the way. Verse 9 through 22 lists a mountainous report of what God is doing in the life of Paul and his last bits of ministry. But you can't be not overwhelmed that you see the amount of people that has crossed paths with Paul, has been impacted by Paul, but most importantly, he would say, Paul has been encouraged and nourished by them. Priscilla and Aquila, Onesiphorus, Erastus, Tremiphus, Eubulus, Pudens, Linus, Claudia, Mark, Luke, Timothy, all of these, and this tender encouragement and special request, make every effort to come to me soon, in verse nine. Paul knows that Timothy's presence and the presence of other believers are an encouragement for him to continue to fight the fight, to continue on even in this moment in his life. Brothers and sisters, no one that I've ever counseled when they're close to death has ever said, bring me my work files. Bring me that project I did in seventh grade that I'm really proud of. Bring me my certificates and rewards. They always say, bring me the people that I love. And Paul reminds all of us that God has made us to thrive in community, especially under duress. A three-fold cord is not quickly broken. Brothers and sisters, if Paul needs other people, (laughs) I know I do. I'm pretty safe bet that you do too. And there's a reminder for us that there's a two-way street that comes in Christian fellowship. That we are committed to community of faith that we encourage and that we receive encouragement from them. You see, we know that we must be all in on life groups and close relationships with other believers. We know that we are to be there, that we are to... to to be encouraged, held accountable, held firm in our faith. And brothers and sisters, let me just say that over the last two years, during some of the darkest of times in many people's lives, I've seen people in this church rally around others in their darkest days to encourage them, help them endure, and help them to remember to fight on, strive on, and be encouraged by other believers. But we also need to be reminded how much encouragement we need and how we need to give it. Think how countercultural right now in this world that it is for people of faith to be encouragement of people around them, to love, to speak kindness, to be gentle, to be forgiving, to speak encouragement to others. And as Paul reminds us, especially in the household of faith, think how countercultural it is for us, brothers and sisters, to leave a legacy of faith knowing that we are encouraging each other to fight on, encourage on, to, to keep running. I've got many friends who do marathons and long distance running, which I say to them, are you sick in the head? (laughs) 
But to those, they also know encouraging this, that they have family and friends along the way to keep cheering them on, to say, keep running, you're doing great. Brothers and sisters, we cannot discount that in the Christian life, that we need to be people of encouragement to others, not always rebuking, not always correcting, not always saying what we need to. We need to do those things, but we need to be winds in the sails of people. And so many times that we forget this. Charles Spurgeon observed, Satan always hates Christian fellowship It is his policy to keep Christians apart. Anything which can divide saints from one another, he delights in. He uh, attaches far more importance to godly intercourse than we do. Since union is strength, he does his best to promote separation. Boy, is that prophetic to our times. We disunify over theology and opinion and preference and this and that and politics and sports and all sorts of different things that distract us some well-intentioned let's be honest mostly not some christians are more concerned about complaining about what songs uh, are seeing being sung what uh what the complaining about the pastor complaining about the temperature I wonder if we might think to ourselves as we leave the church building today, while I was here, whom did I encourage in Christ? Did you encourage another believer? Did you encourage a pastor? Did you write a text of encouragement to your youth life group leader? Brothers and sisters, Satan is attacking every Christian just like he's attacking you. He's attacking every life group leader, every pastor, every person, and they need someone to say, we love you and keep running. We love you and God is faithful. We love you and we're here for you. Brothers and sisters, what would it be like What would this world look like? What would our church be like if we were encouraging one another all the more? We need all the more as days go by. And let me just say a word of encouragement to someone here today. Someone who has not received encouragement. Someone who has felt alone and isolated. Maybe someone who's at home because of COVID-related issues or, or other things that have kept you away from the family of faith. Look at these words that Paul writes here in verse 17 and 18. He was deserted. No one stood by me, may it be counted against them, but the Lord, in verse 17, stood with me and strengthened me so that I might fully preach the word and that all Gentiles might hear it. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and bring me into his safety and heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Can I encourage you, brother or sister? God is standing beside you. God will strengthen you. God will rescue you. God is faithful. And maybe you don't feel like it. 
And maybe you haven't heard an encouragement from someone. Brother and sister, God is always faithful. And he is with you. I encourage you to be courageous. Remain faithful. Keep fighting on. And if you need encouragement, if you're isolated, brother, sister, come back to church. There is no greater amount of encouragement that comes from brothers and sisters here to me than Hebron Baptist Church. You need to come here and be with other believers and be encouraged in your faith. But know that even if we aren't, God is always faithful. Be encouraged by that. So that lands us to number four. If we're taking different steps and asking God by his grace, help us to take that next step of leaving a legacy. Commit to leave a godly legacy. Brother, sister, you can't do something that you don't commit to do or that you say that you're going to do. Right now, you need to commit to leaving a godly legacy. If you put it off for another day or another time or when things are all worked out, I hate to tell you this, things aren't always gonna be worked out. Things aren't going to get easier. Things aren't going to be picture perfect. So are you going to commit to being faithful? Let me just give you three snapshots where where you might be today that we see in the text. Maybe you find yourself like Demas. Demas, Paul says, has deserted me. That he is someone has Love this present world and gone to Thessalonica. We don't know much about Demas except for this. Maybe you find yourself like Demas, loving the world and not loving the Lord and his kingdom. Maybe you see yourself this way. Not enough time for the church, not enough time on mission, not enough time for the family, not enough time to share the gospel, not enough time to be in the word, not enough time to be in prayer. Brothers and sisters, the hard question we must ask ourselves then, we've got the wrong priority. Do you see yourself as Demas who have loved the world and been distracted by it more than your faithfulness to Christ? Well, maybe you're about like Paul and Timothy. Let's think positively. Maybe you're, maybe you're like Paul and Timothy and you're faithful and you're, you're gospel-centered. You're sitting on mission. You're mentoring someone else. You're in the family of faith. You're loving the Lord Jesus. You're submitting a legacy. Keep going. That's what you need to hear this morning. Keep going. What you're doing is important. Keep running the race. There's another picture here. That Paul says in verse 11, bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. No, he was not looking to the future to look at Mark Whitaker. He is speaking of John Mark that we know of the Bible. John Mark is an interesting story. John Mark joined Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey, but somewhere along the way, he departed. And it doesn't sound like it was for very good reason. He returned back to Jerusalem. So when the second missionary journey came, Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement. Paul said, look, this guy can't be 
faithful. I can't depend on him. Barnabas said, oh, let's give this guy a second chance. He's come back. Let's restore him in the faith. It's uh, recorded in Acts chapter 15. Barnabas wanted to take along John, who was called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take along this man who has deserted them in Pamphylia and has not gone with them to the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. Now, we know in this story, we could say, oh, look at this. Oh, how did this happen? Look at sin in the camp. Brothers and sisters, God's sovereign and province is still over this. The work of the gospel still multiplied and continued on even as they separated. But focusing on Mark, what happened to Mark? One who ran tail, yellow-bellied, whatever you want to call him, he ran away from the ministry. What happened? Well, Barnabas took him. He discipled him. He encouraged him. He took steps, little steps, next steps to be faithful in the gospel. And Timothy, uh, as Paul writes to Timothy now, this has now become full circle. Look at Mark's life. One who had abandoned him, who didn't even want to bring in ministry. Now what does he say? Bring Mark because he's useful to me. What a 180. Maybe you feel like you're Mark today. That maybe you've wandered off the path. Maybe you've not been faithful. Well, here's God's word to you. He can use you. He can change you. He can make you faithful. Paul needed him encouraged in the faith. And ultimately, John Mark, we know, his life changed. He became the son in the ministry like Timothy is to Paul that, that John Mark was to now Peter. We read about in Peter's uh, word. And we know because of that, of him following Peter, the gospel of Mark was written as the account of, of Peter of what the gospel of Jesus Christ truly is. We see that God used Mark. Brothers and sisters, God can use you. Maybe you need to take one step One that I've mentioned today, maybe not one that I've even mentioned today, but you know the Spirit is telling you in accordance to His Word that you need to make to remain faithful in ministry. Brothers and sisters, be encouraged because God still uses those who fall away and those of us who are imperfect. And that's you, that's me, that's all of us. And as we consider these words today, I pray that wherever God has you now, that you would, you would think and pray and depend on his grace, that you would build and think of a legacy of faith to walk in Christ, to be faithful to him, and allow God to use a legacy for his glory, for his church, and for the gospel. May it be so. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this challenge of your word that we see through First and Second Timothy. May we be people who are faithful. We are people who follow Jesus no matter how hard it is, that we endure, that we work faithfully on our holiness, that we by God's grace are changed, but that we, Lord, run the race with endurance. Heavenly Father, I pray that there's someone here today 
that they would see the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they would know that their past can be changed by faith in Jesus Christ, that their life can be bestowed righteousness of that of Jesus Christ, that God died for enemies, his son Jesus died on the cross that those who have faith in him can be changed forever. I pray, God, that someone would trust in Christ today. That today, all of us would consider leaving a godly ministry and legacy. In Jesus' name, amen.